Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Uh, But this morning, we're going to continue in a series that we've been in for several weeks now, and we're going to be in it for uh, several more weeks, a series that we're simply calling No Matter What. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, no matter what. That's what we're talking about. Paul is talking to the church in Philippi, and he looks at them and he says, guys, no matter what. Now remember, Paul knows what it means to face persecution. Paul knows what it means to face opposition in life, yet over and over in the book of Philippians, he says, I choose joy. I choose to rejoice. I choose a a better life. I choose to walk in step with God. I choose to go the way that he wants me to go, no matter what. That's what we're talking about in this series. We kick things off by looking at Paul's opening remarks to the church of Philippi. He took the time to share with them the fact that he's praying for them. And I don't know about you, but it always encourages me when somebody walks up and says, man, I'm praying for you. Man, God woke me up in the middle of the night. Sometimes that's a little alarming. Can I be honest with you? Someone walks up and says, God woke me up at 2 a.m. and told me to pray for you. That, that's a little scary sometimes. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was at a Chamber of Commerce meeting, and I won a year subscription, if you would, to Life Flights, you know, where they come and pick you up if you have an accident. And I had just gotten back to the church office, and a lady walks in the office with tears in her eyes, and she said, I just want you to know that, that God laid you upon my heart this morning. I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and she was saying, I need to pray for my pastor, and, and I'm just really praying for you. And I'm like, whoa, I got a Life Flight Award here and I've got somebody praying for me, what's about to take place? But it's always encouraging when someone says, I'm praying for you. And that's what Paul did for the church of Philippi. Then he took the time to say, you know what? God uses the the unusual things of life. God uses those things that you really don't imagine they can be used. And he puts them in that toolbox, your spiritual toolbox, and he gives you opportunity, gives you moments in time. He gives you seconds and conversations and opportunities to share that with someone else and have you know that in those moments we can reach into that tool back and say, God, I know that I've been through this before. God, I know I've been where they are. God, would you help me in this moment to use what you've supplied me with? And then last week we began a two-part discussion on a attitude change, the need of an attitude change. Anybody else in the house ever need an attitude change? Yeah, if you don't right now, wait until tomorrow morning. Monday morning comes around and some of us need an adjustment on Monday, right? But that's what we're going to talk about. I gave you the first point last week and I'll remind you of that point in just a moment. But let me refresh your memory of our text. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1 through 5 says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship 
together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. Paul is writing here. He says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Then he goes on to get a little personal. You see, on the onset of that, it, it's pretty surfacey. It's kind of a general conversation, but now he gets personal. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have, in other words, no matter what, you must have the same attitude as our Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what. For the rest of our time this morning, I want to look at this attitude change. What are some things that, that maybe we just kind of get in the routine of, of doing or, or we just kind of go along with culture and we, we miss sight of what God really has for us? Unless I'm mistaken, many times the, the direction that society would take us is in complete opposite or contradiction to that of what Christ would have us to do, Right? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Let me remind you of characteristic number one. Think of others more than self. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, it said this, Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. It's not easily accomplished. This is not easily done. Why? Because everything that we're presented with in our life, everything we're presented with with social media, everything we're presented with on the news says you are the only one that you need to be concerned about. You are the center of it all. You deserve everything. We become self-absorbed, self Focused. In fact, Paul goes on to say this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now the word attitude here, it refers to mind or understanding or feeling. What are you striving for? See, that's what we're talking about. Are, are we striving for a lifestyle that represents that of Jesus Christ? In other words, it's an outward expression of an inward nature. I talked about it last week, but God is so much more interested in the, the inward change than he is the outward change of your life, right? However, let me put a disclaimer here. However, what occurs on the inside must begin to translate to the outside. If I was to have a, a fruit tree on my property, yet that fruit tree never produced fruits, it'd be a little bit of a disappointment, right? Come on now, you guys are a little bit quiet today. But what about the Christian? See, the Christian can't just come in here and, and soak up and soak up and soak up and be the sponge. And yes, we need to do that. But what happens when we step outside of these doors? What happens when we step into the culture? What happens when we embrace the world? What happens where we, when we go to where they are? Well, pastor, I just stay away from them. Then you're missing the points. Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. 
We've been called to, to go into this dark world, to go into this crooked world, to make an impact for the kingdom of God. There's got to be an outward expression of an inward nature that's occurring deep inside of our hearts and of our lives. You see, our first characteristic is we've got to think of others more than self. Number two is this, begin to serve others. Begin to serve others others. Now, a lot of these points are pretty simple. They're pretty basic, but you know what? That's kind of how God's Word is. It's pretty simple. The difficult part is applying it. It's easy for me to give you a point that says, man, we got to begin to serve others, and I would venture to say the majority of you in the room would go, yeah, that's right, pastor. Yet the sad truth is many churches are being are functioning by 20% of the people doing the majority of the work. Fortunately, here at Encounter Church, we've got a lot of people doing a lot of things. You guys understand this idea of serving others. We've got to begin to serve others. Verse 6, the latter portion of 6 into 7 says this, though he was in the form of God, we're talking about Jesus here, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Wrap yourself around that for a moment. Though Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, he did not grab a hold of or did not embrace or wrap himself around, and one translation says, cling to his Godship. But he goes on to say this, but he emptied himself. Wow. That's, that's, that's pretty deep. He went to the extent of giving everything. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus, the very Son of God, he had the opportunity. He could have taken this world and said, you know what, I want everyone on this earth right now to focus upon me. He could have built a giant palace on the highest mountain and had everybody turn to him and focus in on him, but that's not what he did. Jesus emptied himself, taking on our hurts, taking on the misunderstanding taking on the mistreatments, the hate, ultimate death for you, 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 and me. Giving everything. But I'm reminded of a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in Mark chapter 9. And it says, after they arrived at Capernaum, and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the road? Now, could you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples? I mean, you're with him. I want you to understand, a disciple, they didn't just kind of meander sometime during the day and find the person they were learning from. No, they would be at their door first thing in the morning, waiting for them to walk out the door, eagerly anticipating that moment of them crossing through the doorway so they could follow them every step of the way, every breath that they took, every move they made. They were right there. So here the disciples are. They're 
I believe, following behind Jesus. Jesus maybe is a little ahead of them, and, and they start talking to one another. They start comparing one another. You know, I, I think I'm probably a little bit better than you are. You know, I'm, I'm closer to Jesus than you are, because anytime he's talking about all of us, guy, what's he do? Hey, he was with, with, with John, and, and he was with all these, and he's naming me first. Right? Peter, James, and John, I mean, they were like the inner circle. They were right there. I can imagine these three guys were like, man, we are so tight with him. He's always calling us first. He's always wanting to hang out with us. When we consider the COVID table and only four of us can sit together, he has the three of us join him. You guys have to sit across the room behind the plexiglass. But Jesus said, what were you guys talking about? When we were walking down the road a few moments ago on the way to the house, what was that discussion? I just kind of heard bits and pieces of it. What were you talking about? But they didn't answer, obviously. Because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant's of everyone else. Wow. So, so, so if I, if I want to be first, imagine the disciples' conversation in their heads in that moment. If I want to be first, it's really not about him calling my name first. It's really not about me being able to achieve this or, or, or this opportunity. It's not about these things at all. It, it's about the fact that I've got to serve those around me. I've got to be willing to be a servant of everyone else. Jesus, our ultimate example, he thought of others and became a servant of everyone else. Here he says, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. That's true sacrifice. That's so opposite what all of our culture says. If we truly desire to take upon the image of Jesus Christ, we must discipline ourselves. Now listen carefully, because putting others first is not natural. Right? So we've got to discipline ourselves. There are times, there are moments when God's going to lay an opportunity in your lap. He's going to lay it right in front of you. And your first thought is, not today. I don't have time for this. I got too many things going on. I don't want to deal with this. And God's going to say, but you ask me for opportunities. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you got to learn to be a servant of all, no matter what. Let me ask you a personal question. What steps are you taking to serve others? In your personal life, I'm not asking you to answer for somebody else. I'm not asking you to answer for the church. You see, it'd be really easy in this moment to say, oh, I know what we're doing as a church. We're doing this and we're doing that and we're, we're having this opportunity and we're having that opportunity. But that's not my question. My question is, what about you? What steps are you personally taking to serve others. You see, Jesus was not just playing a role. 
He wasn't pretending to serve. His life was a life of servanthood. He lived and he died for others. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth with the sole purpose of serving you. Because here's the deal. If it was not for Jesus, we have no hope. Because I can't be good enough. You can't be good enough. At some moment, at some point in time, you're going to falter. Right? We need Jesus. And Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, grab a hold of what Jesus is demonstrating and begin to do that. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, for even the Son of Man, we're talking about Jesus here, even Jesus came not to be served. In other words, Jesus didn't come to this earth to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. To pay the price that by ourselves, we could never pay. To pay the cost of our shortcomings, of our failures. In other words, to serve so that we could have life. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes, and we equate that to be the Satan, our enemy, the adversary. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That sounds like culture. Grab whatever you can. Do whatever is best for you. But it goes on to say, but Jesus has come so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus demonstrated what it means to be a servant so that we could have an abundant life. He came to be payment for our deliverance, to pay a price that we deserved to pay, to take away, uh, to make a way of deliverance for each and every one of us, willing to serve time and time again, no matter what, no matter how difficult it got, no matter how frustrated he became, he demonstrated ultimate servanthood when he took the place of the lowest of the lowest and began to serve. In John chapter 13, we read a, a story of when Jesus showed the ultimate servanthood. Jesus began to wash his disciples' feet. You see, they had all gathered together, and I'm not going to take time to read the entire account to you this morning. Uh, if you want, it's John chapter 13. But here they were sitting around the table, and Jesus realizing that they needed an opportunity to truly see servanthood. Some of, it haven't, some of them hadn't yet grasped what it meant to be a servant of all. So here they are sitting around the table. Jesus gets up and he goes over. He wraps a towel around his waist. He grabs the basin of water and the rag and he goes to his disciples. And one by one, he begins to wash their feet. Have you ever washed somebody's feet or had somebody wash your feet? It's a pretty humbling experience. 
I think one of the first weekends that we knew one another, the church that I was at had a foot washing. Yet she still married me. <laughs> Hallelujah. But Jesus began to wash their feet. But I love what he says at the very end. In verse 17, he says this, Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you understand what it means to be a servant, now that you grab a hold of this concept of servanthood, you see, the, the responsibility of washing feet was not for the royal, it wasn't for the top class, it was for the lowest of the lowest servants. So in that moment, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that came to be ultimate change for this world to give us hope and salvation, said, let me pause for a moment and demonstrate to you what it means to truly be a servant. I can imagine the disciples, as Jesus was grabbing the basin of water and wrapping the towel around them, I can imagine the arguments that were going on in the room. John, wasn't it your responsibility to get a servant here to wash the feet? No, Peter, you were supposed to do that. I did it last time we were together. So in and amongst all the bickering and the quarreling, Jesus goes to them one by one, looks them in the eyes, and begins to wash their feet. The Bible says one of them begin to argue with him. Lord, you can't wash my feet. Never wash my feet. She said, unless I wash your feet, you get no part with me. In other words, let me show you what it means to be a servant. And now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So another question, are you ready? Are you ready to roll up your sleeves? Are you ready to begin to serve those around you? Or are we satisfied sitting around the table being served? There's a question on the bottom of your outline today, right under point number two. And it says, does your life depict that of a servant? Now remember, Jesus said if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to learn to be a servant of all. Does your life depict that of a servant? If not, what needs to change? Characteristic number three is this, learn to sacrifice self. Uh, you notice something here. This is getting more and more difficult every step that we take. Point one, you've just got to think of others more than yourself. There's not a whole lot of action there. You're just thinking of others more than yourself. You're putting them before you. Number two, you're, you're beginning to serve. So you're getting out there and you're, you're doing some, some actions. You're, you're stepping in what God's called you to do. And then point number three, you're learning to sacrifice self. Sacrifice is hard. Sacrifice costs you something. Philippians 2.8 says this, He, or Jesus, humbled, humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus demonstrated true sacrifice. When he climbed on the cross, Jesus at any moment, at any time, said, could have said, enough is enough, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm tired of all of this. Yet he demonstrated to us what it meant to truly sacrifice. Many people are willing to sacrifice and serve others if it doesn't cost them anything. Do you see the irony there? 
We're willing to serve. We're willing to do something as long as it doesn't cost us anything. But what happens when there's a price to pay? Suddenly we divert our attention. We step back and we don't have as much interest in being a part of that as we once did. We're more concerned about self than we are about others. J.H. Jowett once said this, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing. In other words, actions that are taken. Even if you say, man, I'm doing this for God. The Bible says there's coming a time when people will stand before God and you say, I don't know who you are. But, but God, I, I did this for you. God, I, I, was, I served as a greeter at the door. God, I was on the worship team at Encounter Church in Sedalia, Missouri. God, I, I changed diapers in the nursery. And he's going to say, I don't know you. Why? Because ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. What is our hearts? Where's your heart leading you today? The person truly desiring to become like Jesus does not avoid sacrifices. He lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. And if paying a price will honor Jesus and help others, that individual is willing to do that. That's the attitude that Paul demonstrated time and time again. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. He goes on to say this, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. In other words, even if it cost me my life, wow! That just got real. That's hard. See, some of us, we're like, oh, pastor's talking about sacrificing time. Okay, I can do that. Pastor's talking about sacrificing finances. Okay, I can do that. But Paul takes it 45 steps further. He says, even if I have to go to the point of death for you, I'm willing to do that. See, the true test of one desiring to be like Jesus, it's not how much are we willing to take in terms of suffering. That's really not what we're talking about. It's not how much are we willing to endure, how much hardship are we willing to endure, but how much are we willing to give in terms of sacrifice. Do we see the difference? One is, man, I can endure this, I can take this, I can have this pour upon me. But one says, I'm willing to give everything, just like Jesus. I'm willing to be emptied. That's the attitude that Paul's talking about here. We are to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Oh, he could have climbed on his high horse at any moment and said, man, this is all about me. But that's not what he did. He gave everything, emptied himself to the point of sacrifice for us. 
I love the sacrifice that's talked about in Romans chapter 12. Paul says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let, him be, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Come on, that's important. It's important that we grab a hold of those two words. First off, the sacrifice that you offer to Jesus must be a living sacrifice. In other words, God, I'm going to give you the best of all that I am. God, I'm not going to give you the leftovers. God, I'm not going to give you the last few moments, the final breath. God, I'm going to give you from this moment on every breath that I take, every move that I make, everywhere that I go, every step that I take. God, I'm going to give to you a living sacrifice. And then he says a holy sacrifice. God, I'm going to strive. I'm going to strive to be like you. God, I'm going to do everything I can to let my life represent you to the best of my ability. goes on to say, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. How many you know the behaviors and customs of this world are anything but holy? Come on now. We've got to make the change. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It goes back to the inside. It's a, an inward, inward behavior, an inward life expressed on the outside of us. Let God change what's going on on the inside of our life. The question begs to be asked, how does sacrifice begin? It begins by presenting oneself. What did it say? Beginning of verse, verse 1 there, I plead with you to give your bodies. In other words, to present yourself, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's what Jesus demonstrated for us. You have to take the first step. So here's a question for this characteristic. Is it costing you anything to be a Christian? Well, pastor, I pay my tithe. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what we're talking about. You representing Christ at work, you representing Christ in public, does it cost you anything? I was meeting with some people at Chipotle and Independence um, over the weekend, and as we came out of the restaurant, I realized that she had a boot on her leg. We began to talk about that and, and what the boot is for, and she was talking about you know, how, how her, her, I think her foot, her ankle, or something was messed up. I don't remember now, but we stood right outside Chipotle, and the four of us just gathered about our heads, and we began to pray that God would just heal her body. The guy would raise her up. We got done praying, said amen. We turned to go to the cars, and some guy 25 feet away said, Hey, what were you guys just doing? And I was like, Oh, where's this going? Even so, Lord, come quickly. And I said, We were praying. Who are you praying to? Okay, is this a trap? I said, God, which God? The only God. Which God? 
The one true God. Which God? God the Father of Jesus. He goes, good. <laughs> Can I just tell you, I wasn't sure where that conversation was going. I was like, here we go. Is your walk with Christ causing any sort of effect? Is it costing you anything at all? Yes or no? And finally, characteristic number four. Live to glorify God. Now, culture would say to you, live to glorify self. Live to gain everything for you. But the Bible says, live your life in such a way that it brings glory and honor to God and God alone. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11 says, Therefore, God elevated him. Who's he talking about? Jesus. God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Hallelujah. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Look at that. And God elevated Jesus to the highest honor gave him the name above every other name that at the mention of his name every knee shall bow every tongue will confess tell you what folks there's coming a day that that will come true there's coming a moment there's coming a time that everyone will say yes Jesus is the son of God for some unfortunately it will be too late but every knee will bow and every tongue will profess that Jesus is the Son of God. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Now earlier in this chapter, Paul told us not to be selfish. He told us don't be self-absorbed. Yet now he is showing us that Jesus brought honor and glory to the Father by the life that he lived. Likewise, we are to follow this example. The words that you speak, listen carefully, the actions that you take, your responses to people, they're all to be done in a way that brings honor and glory to God. How do I know that? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells me. It says, so whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do. Why? Why do we do that? Well, number one, it's a command. First Chronicles, give the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Give the Lord the glory 
he deserves. Not a suggestion, not you ought to or you should, but no matter what, no matter what you're going through in life, no matter what you're facing in life, give glory to God. No matter what you eat, no matter what you drink, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, let it be done unto the glory of God, our Lord and Savior. Number two, we are to be his representative. I've shared this scripture a lot. In fact, it's one of my favorite scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5.20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Some translations say we're his representatives. God is making his appeal through us. Look at that. Does God need to use us? No. No. He could accomplish all of this by himself. He could have said, you know what? I'm not going to give them a free will. I'm going to make them little robots and they're all going to worship me and it's going to be awesome. He could have done that. But he gave us a free will and he says, you know what? I'm going to use my followers. I'm going to make my appeal through them. Goes on to say, we speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. This scripture, it demonstrates that the world is bent toward evil. This world is bent toward a lifestyle that doesn't follow the things of God. But we have been sent into this broken world to help bring about hope and healing and and represent Jesus in all that we do. To bring honor and glory to his name. So I ask you the final question. Is your life glorifying God? Just think about that. Is your life glorifying God? See, if we really want to have the change of attitude, there's four things we've got to do. Think of others more than self. Begin to serve others. Learn to sacrifice self. And finally, live to glorify God. What's that look like in your life today? Would you pray with me, God? I pray right now that you will speak into our hearts. Lord, what Paul talks about here in Philippians is tough. There's a lot to do. It's not natural. It's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some hard work. It's going to take some determination. But God, I know without a doubt that if we will follow your steps, if we will do what you have called us to do, Lord, you're going to make that path straight. Lord, you're going to lead us, and you're going to guide us. And Lord, you will truly make your appeal through the words, actions, and things that we do. So God, right now, we make ourselves available. We lay it all before you right now. We give you ourselves. Lord, I ask that in return, Lord, you will take us and use us. Church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, a couple of questions. Number one, most important question, question I'll ask every week. 
given your life to Jesus. See, it'd be virtually impossible to really, truly follow after him if he's not part of your life. Because the Bible talks about a, a battle between the good and the evil within us. And the one that we feed, the one that we invest in, that's the one that will win out. So the first step is giving your life to Christ. See, every one of us is messed up, and the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He's faithful. He's just. He'll forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us of all the wrong that we've ever done. You've walked in this place this morning. You've got some junk you need to get rid of. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you let me pray with you all across the house? Yes, there's one. There's two. There's three. There's four. There's five. There's six. There's seven. Come on, is that you? God loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he sent Jesus to die, I believe, for you, for me. Anyone else today? I want to pray a prayer across the house. If you'll pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer. It simply says, I've messed up. I need Jesus in my life. If you pray that prayer, he'll cleanse you. He'll make you brand new. Would you pray with me? Dear God, come on, all across the house. Dear God, I admit right now, I've made some wrong choices. I've done some things I shouldn't have done. But I know you love me. And I ask you right now to forgive me. To make me brand new. To help me to be more like you. To do what you'd have me to do. To say what you'd have me to say. To be what you'd have me to be. I give you my life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for dying for me. More importantly, thank you for raising from the grave. I ask you right now, come into my life. I commit it to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, there's about seven of you. And I want to talk to you right after the service. I'm going to be hanging out right up here. I, I got some information I want to give you. Please do not leave this place without coming and talking to me. I've got some things I need to give to you today that will help you in this journey. But the second question is this. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I need God's help. And some of those characteristics, that was tough. I'm, out of a hard, I'm having a hard time doing some of that. And I need God's help. You'll be honest with yourself. Would you raise your hand? got hands going up all over the place. Stand with me this morning if you would. Let me pray for you. God, I pray right now for this congregation. Lord, give us your supernatural strength. Lord, give us your boldness. Give us your courage. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to 
take upon your characteristics. Lord, to, to rid ourselves of the things that are slowing us down and to embrace you right now. I pray for every person in this room. Lord, that from this day forward, we're no longer the same. But from this day forward, we're brand new in you. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing one worship course here.